0: Like the way I would think through it is like it needs to be really compelling for you to do fulfillment yourself, right? Which either means like you've got a very specialized kind of product or customer experience that you want to kind of you honor and that has some kind of additional benefit to you, right? You can charge a higher price kind of you for that, um, et cetera, right? Like maybe you kind of, you, you, you do those things. If it makes more economic sense, like split the shipments, kind of you're from there right like on the purchase order ask your vendor to send part of the kind of your po to one location part directly to amazon like all of those things are possible and like we'll help you track that all the way to your 3pl and amazon as well Mm I would argue that your ability to kind of manufacture, source, create kind of your product and sell them, that's core competencies. And no business can have core competencies across every functional kind of part of the business, right? Some things you outsource to partners, some you outsource to kind of uh, processes, to systems or software, and others you don't kind of do.
1: So, on today's episode, you're going to find out how inventory management plays a crucial role in the most important growth metrics in e-commerce, which are conversions and revenue. It's a great episode you don't want to miss, so do stay tuned. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell so welcome back to the 2x e-commerce podcast i'm your host Kune campbell in today's episode we're talking to adi piner the founder and ceo of cogsy cogsy is a new inventory management software that helps e-commerce businesses track their inventory and optimize their supply chain adi is a successful entrepreneur in of himself with a deep understanding of the e-commerce industry. He is um, or was a co-founder of WooCommerce, one of the most popular e-commerce platforms in the world. We talk a bit about it in this episode. Um, He also shares insights on how to improve your e-commerce business with inventory management software. He'll also talk about challenges of inventory management software and how Cogsy can help you overcome them. So if you are an e-commerce business owner or if you're thinking about starting an e-commerce business this episode is for you here are some of the topics we'll discuss in this episode first how to track your inventory two how to optimize your supply chain three, how to challenge or how, just challenges in inventory management in general and and four how cogzy can potentially help you overcome the challenges of inventory management particularly demand forecasting. I hope you join I hope you enjoy this one so without further ado let's get started. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Want to improve your e-commerce customer experience with the power of AI? Tidio, the highest rated live chat app on Shopify has you covered. With Tidio AI powered chatbots and live chat, you can automate up to 73% of recurring questions, providing excellent customer support while creating a personalized shopping recommendation that increases your conversion rate. Tidio not only resolves tickets, but also creates sales opportunities, making it a must-have for e-commerce operators. With dozens of e-commerce tool integrations and the ability to manage all communication channels in one dashboard, Tidio simplifies your customer interactions. And with the Tidio Plus plan, you get a dedicated customer success manager to help you unlock the full potential of Tidio's features. Join over 300,000 businesses in revolutionizing your customer experience with Tidio. Head to tidio.com slash 2x for a special offer and try Tidio for free today. Hey Adi, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. I've been looking forward to this convo. Thank you so
0: much for having me,
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Where are you, where are you down in and from? All the way down south in sunny
0: Cape Town, South Africa.
1: Oh, fantastic. I will love to 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 go there. My my missus has, um, and she's been telling me to just do it. Um, so I, I need to.
0: So, so she came and she didn't pack you in her suitcase. I, I, I didn't understand this.
1: No, at all. No, at all. No, at all. Um, it, was, it was many moons ago and she, 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 it was like a work thing, um, but they, they did a lot of um, touring, uh, of sightseeing, and all of that stuff. And she was like, look, I, you've got to go. She did Brazil and I did Brazil eventually. But um, yeah, Cape Town is still on the bucket list
0: do it like I'm part-time tech founder over here and part-time Cape Town enthusiast so I uh, can highly recommend a visit.
1: All right, sounds good, sounds good, sounds good. So, you've got quite an illustrious um, you know, career which dates back to to WooCommerce. But before we even get back to that, who 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 is Adi? You know, um give us a brief sort of life summary, biography, autobiography of Adi to 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 where you are now really really quick one please yeah so
0: so i think um i would probably like uh, say like i I grew up in a very vanilla average environment um like uh, kind of middle class went to kind of decent high school um and I think the, the key part there was is my dad was always an entrepreneur, so since I can remember, my dad had his own businesses, uh, specifically in like computer hardware, um, slash accounting, that's what he specialized in. And then I can remember in high school, I picked up a, a Richard Branson book for whatever reason. Um, and it inspired me, and I got this idea in my head: like, this is what I needed to do forever. So, uh, by the time I got to university, um, I was already kind of tinkering with the little projects on the side um, and doing multiple things, and, and essentially doing everything not to study the course that I was doing. I, <laughs> I majored in, in accountant, and the kind of the, the plan was to become a chartered accountant. Um, so, if I was to say like. You know, looking back, uh, I still have the knowledge I never practiced, I never had to intern because uh, I ultimately kind of you know, just post varsity, spent six weeks working for a corporate um, and then started working on, on Woo full time uh, back then. But that's, that really is like up until WooCommerce, that's the congested version of like who I am and how I got to who, you know, where I am today.
1: Okay, that's that's interesting. So so at WooCommerce, what, did you, were you part of the founding team? What, what happened at WooCommerce? Yeah, so um kind of
0: the previous I of WooCommerce was was
1: Woo Themes.
0: Um and effectively what happened was I during varsity I I wanted a blog, um so I got stuck into kind of WordPress. It was a, a seemingly kind of obvious option at the time. Um they were just beginning popular and it was open source so I could teach myself. Um I was okay. Kind of a coder, I could code a little bit of HTML, a little bit of CSS. Taught myself PHP at the time, Um, and the very first kind of product that became WooThemes and then became kind of WooCommerce, I built in my final year at varsity. So, um, yes, I was the. built the first product, that's how I met Magnus and Mark who eventually became my, my co-founders in WooThemes uh, and then WooCommerce, I think and if I remember correctly, WooCommerce, I mean, this is all my first product, November 2007 um, and WooCommerce I believe was, we, we launched in like late 2010, maybe 2011, um, if I remember correctly.
1: And then um, how long were you there for before you transitioned? I just, just a few, few more stints that, that led up to, to Cogsy, which, which is what we wanna talk about today.
0: Yeah, so um, I left Woo, stepped on as CEO uh, end of 2013, um, and in the following year, I started a new company. I I, I I told you this off air, I I got to a point where um, it was such a fascinating ride building WooCommerce, and I really wanted a new challenge, and I kind of told myself this year, like, or the biggest challenge that I wanted was that can I take all these lessons and experiences that I'd learned with Woo and reapply it and, and do it again meaning that kind of little birdie in your head that says hey dude you just got lucky um, and like not every business is as lucky um, as this or as easy as this um, not that everything about Woo was easy but it did sometimes feel like we got really lucky, like right like right place, right time kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So started a new company called Receiptful, eventually became Convergio, where we built email marketing automation um, for e-commerce brands um, and also sold that. I sold out of that in August 2019, um, spent some time with Acquire Campaign Monitor in 2020 and, and COVID year effectively, and then come to the back end of that got, got stuck into Coxy. So I've really had... Um, I always tell people or mostly tell people that I'm a bit of a one-trick pony in that sense in the way that I've just built kind of a software for e-commerce brands uh, for the last, what, 15, 16 years now.
1: Uh, it's, you know, specialization really does yield, you know, um, results. So so well done, you know, for sticking to That's to, to on this, this track. Now speaking of Cogsy, why did you want to solve like inventory management? Um, you know, did you see any any blatant problems? Did you sort of interviewed, had you sort of um spoken to a lot of operators to, to know that this was like an itch, you know, they they, they really needed to, to 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 scratch.
0: Yeah, it's uh, um I mean I think the, the the honest answer there is that I um I probably did everything that I would advise first-time founders kind of not to do, right? So, like, I before starting build the, the first version initially, like, I didn't speak to a single customer, for example, right? Um, which, again, like, first-time founders don't do that. That's not the way to go. Uh, the The real kind of impetus for this actually was just a kind of I, I would say an intersection of two things, right? So I mentioned I studied accounting, um, and. I've always in my my own businesses, like I stay very close to kind of the bookkeeping function, at least I like I work with kind of auditors, I do I effectively do everything except the kind of the tax advisory stuff, which I don't get involved in. Um, But understanding financial statements, understanding accounting in general, like all all those things have been superpowers my business. So A couple of years ago, um, my wife—well, and for the last couple of years, last six or so years—my wife ran a local e-commerce business, um, which she sold as well recently. And through that kind of time, I was her just her tech and financial co-pilot in the business. Right, like I, I didn't like actively work in the business, but I was always there, and I could always see, for a small kind of a smaller team. That didn't have specialized roles and titles for everyone. Like everyone is pretty much a, a generalist-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Um on, on the team. I could see all these kind of back-end tools that they were using. It was sophisticated. Um, it was kind of a hard lift for them to get kind of your full power out of this. And when it came to stuff like inventory management, like I always felt that, hey, this like I could just build something that's better and easier, right? Um, and that really like that's where the impetus for um for COGSY Comes from. I think if I take a step back and I think through and, and use the benefit of your know, being in this kind of greater industry for the last you know, kind of your 15 odd years, I think e-commerce has essentially had like three phase, you know, phases of development. Like the first phase, which is the part of that phase of which WooCommerce was part of, but was all around kind of can we give businesses or online sellers the the infrastructure the payment kind of processing the order management all of those kind of your uh, fundamental stuff that you need to sell online and and make it more accessible um you know for everyone across the world like that really was the first kind of your first wave or first phase the second wave was all around like the tools needed to find distribution and growth and sales for those brands. So what do you need to layer on top of that? And you and you can see that in like the biggest companies today are like emailing you know, email solutions like MailChimp, klaviyo etc. Yachtpo from a social kind of um social proof standpoint, like all of those companies came um, in that kind of second, second phase. And what happened with software development is newer technology was available. So the interfaces, the user experience, the capabilities, all these things are sexy, right? And, and sexy mm-hmm. is like airy-fairy. I don't mean to, you know, kind of, that's not the only reason why you sh- should or shouldn't use software, but those mm-hmm. solutions and that space saw a lot of investment. And, but the bucket that didn't get investment was all these kind of unsexy back-end kind of tools because nobody wanted to kind of geek out about those things and build those things so if you look at most erps and or kind of your ims's in free management systems today they look a little clunky, they're not fun to use, they, they, they've they lacked investment, even though they're highly powerful and functional, right? But like, it's not the same interfaces which you would get on Figma, for example, right? Like, it's it's just not had that investment. Um, and that really was, as I said, like I really wanted to think through how, like if I were to build something from scratch with new technology and with current knowledge and understanding how brands currently sell online, i.e. not just through a single Shopify instance, multi-channel, multiple inventory locations, etc. how would I actually co- go about building an inventory management tool today?
1: Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey 2Xers, I want to take a moment to talk about a service that has made a significant impact on product launches for our e-commerce brands. It's called TRED. Tread first hit the market in early 2020 and has since become the go-to financing option for over 500 brands, including big names like Rosum. In just one sentence, Tread can be described as the ultimate solution for purchasing inventory, allowing retailers to sell first and pay suppliers later. As an e-commerce brand owner myself, I can't emphasize enough how helpful Tread has been for our business. Their unsecured funding and credit model, which takes into account the current financial health of a business, has allowed us to access financing without worrying about collateral. We've improved our cash flow by avoiding upfront supplier payments and freeing up funds. This has enabled us to invest in larger orders, expand our product range, and even negotiate supplier discounts. And let me tell you, the flexibility is amazing. Tread offers a pay-as-you-go model with a flat and transparent fee, which means you only use it when you need to. No hidden cost or long-term commitments, just a simple and effective way to manage our inventory financing. The best part, Tread works independently of e-commerce platforms and requires minimal onboarding. It doesn't matter if you're a founder, CEO, CFO, or part of the finance team, TRED can be a game changer for your business. With taglines like sell first, pay suppliers later, and snooze your supplier invoices with TRED, it's clear that TRED is all about empowering businesses like ours to import the goods we need now while handling the invoice and allowing us to pay up to 120 days later. So if you're in the e-commerce space and looking for a smart, flexible financing solution, I highly recommend giving Tread a try. Visit their website on T-R-E-Y-D dot That's T-R-E-Y-D dot to learn more and get started today. Now, let's get back to the show interesting you drew parallels with with the user experience um, you get with modern tools you know such as figma and trying to sort of, Implement that, or re re, re, re re write that story in the you know inventory management space, which tends to be clunky, y or, or SAP you know like you know so they they tend to be quite serious. Um, so so who who's the intended audience um for for Cogsy is is it um you know specialists or, or or generalists you know who are like founders you know trying to just figure stuff out you know they want to sort out their excess inventory issues they want to you know avoid stocking out and all of that stuff and they need an easy to use interface to just get stuff done and do do, or um, is it also does it also include the dedicated inventory management specialist you know or e-commerce you know um, um, manager who, who handles inventory
0: yeah so I think it's both of those well, let me take a step back, and I'll answer it in a better way. So, mm-hmm. take let's go back to kind of the Figma example. The, I think a key reason why Figma built the multi-billion-dollar business that they've built, um, where they had a massive incumbent in the um, in Adobe Photoshop, is because it empowered collaboration. And I think that's the, the kind of key part. Like I don't think. There are bits about Cogsy that does this like COGSI is not on the same level as as Figma here right like I want to make that clear but I want to draw some kind of fundamental kind of parallels in terms of how I think about who you know kind of how this should work, right? So I think, like, firstly, kind of, when I think about the operational parts of any retail brand is, like, it has to be cross-functional, right? Like, I, if in my mind, it makes no sense sense if the demand or the growth team sits on one side um, of the office, and the kind of operational supply, probably a part of the business sits on the other part of the office, and they never speak to each other, right? Like, I think, like, figuring out how to combine the knowledge the skills, the processes for both those kind of two functions, and I know that splits off, and. Like to your point, it specializes to different roles. Like that's a key part of what I think should be kind of your true here, right? So um, directly answering your question, our direct buyer persona like, is generally one of two, right? Like one, um, in smaller teams, it's the co-owner or co-founder of the business that leans towards the operational side, that like takes care of that, Like, right? in that kind of configuration we often see one leads operationally, one leans more kind of your know, creative and kind of demand focused. So then we sell to the kind of operational operational kind of persona there. Otherwise, it is that kind of your head of or director operation. operations. So it is a more of a kind of a generalist kind of your role. Um, my vision for the tool ultimately is that we can definitely automate more of the kind of the, the process. The tool can automate more of the process and you probably need less specialist skills up until a certain point. And again, when I say a certain point, like our biggest customer does north of $100 million a year, right? So like, point is you can probably avoid having to build a team of only specialists and probably build more generalists depending on the nature of your business. And that's what I think um, we want to achieve with Cogsy, like hmm. Mirror, kind of to the journalist kind of tool. If you ask me, for example, like if anyone's followed me on LinkedIn or on Twitter, like I often speak about kind of spreadsheets on steroids, for example. And this mm-hmm. is not to—I think I, I've spoken to many a demand planner, um, and they've got insane kind of your knowledge and experience. Yeah. I just don't believe that the way to go for most brands is trying to build a spreadsheet or an interface that works like a spreadsheet, where you're essentially doing planning to the nth degree. I think most brands can be better run operationally, do better planning, do better inventory management um, by, not, by avoiding that complexity involved in kind of building a, a spreadsheet on steroids or a planning function to the nth degree.
1: That's that's, that's a, a very very good point, and I like your your mention of the the cross functional um, importance of, of tools. Okay, so moving on to to, to 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 inventory management, you know, when I log in as a marketer to my Shopify or, or my Facebook or you know MetaRad account, you know, I look at you know key metrics such as conversion rates um you know um the traffic average order value and, and, and all of that good stuff from from a marketing standpoint um from an operational standpoint what are the north star metrics every listener should be paying attention to
0: yeah so i think from my side the things that i um Like will always call out is I think understanding your gross or at least your contribution margin and ideally understanding that kind of on a per SKU and a per channel basis um, I think is critically important right like meaning like whatever the contribution margin is on a SKU if you sell on Shopify versus Amazon those things will be different and what you can spend on advertising will ultimately kind of be influenced so like I think that's the first part that I that I want to understand the second part that. Um, in my mind, is, is, a, is a North Star here is what I call return on working capital, kind of deployed or employed, right? Which is very simply saying is um, because taking a step back, the, the two biggest risks with inventory is that you are stocking out or you're completely overstocked, right? If you're stocking out, then you are probably directly losing revenue because you don't have stock to sell. If you are overstock, you've got cash tied up in stock that has an opportunity cost, which has a negative influence somewhere else in the business. Right? Slightly harder to quantify what that kind of impact is um, or where that impact is, but there's opportunity cost there because you don't have the cash. Assuming your kind of cash constraints, which I think most of the best brands that I kind of have worked with or have encountered are, right? So the, the metric that I would focus on there is return on like that working capital or the cash that you have in inventory at any given stage. So you're essentially keeping two things um, in relation to each other there, which is I've got X amount of kind of your cash tied up in, in capital at all times. And this is how kind of that is linked to my my revenue or even better, your my gross Profit because if that ratio is higher um, or that percentage is ultimately the return is higher, it suggests that I am finding that optimal kind of your range where I know that I'm not stocking out, but I'm also not overstocked significantly. So you get closer to in, in an ideal world, for example, like if you took away all lead times we would all move to a just-in-time kind of, you know, on-demand, kind of your print-on-demand. It's not print-on-demand because most products mm-hmm. don't work that way, obviously. But the closer you can get to just-in-time, the better because that's where you need the least amount of cash tied up into to inventory. So, like, that's the metric that I would use to try and ascertain kind of that part thereof. Um, one additional one that I'll throw out there, you know, is like, and this is um, – it feels like an artifact, but this is part of the very first version we build with Cogsy was all around like how to think about like prioritizing kind of the cash. If you've only got, again, cash constraints, limited cash available, and you had to prioritize which SKUs to run out of. So Cogsy actually calculates a, a single metric, um, which is LTV kind of your per product. And the way way we kind of calculate that is to say for a first time customer, if they buy kind of product X first what is their lifetime value? And then we kind of calculate that back. So the theory there is if your highest LTV products are not in stock. You're not just losing out on that single sale, that $50 sale. If those products generally also kind of you got you a $300 LTV over the span of two or three years, you are possibly losing out on kind of a bigger part of that, right? Because first time customer, they just don't come back because you didn't have the product that they were going to purchase and they never become a repeat kind of customer. So I think all of those things, like when you find those trends in your data, there's some interesting insights to, you know, to to be had there, where you can then restructure operations or reprioritize your decisions in terms of how you are kind of buying and managing your inventory.
1: Super, super. I, I like that point on LTV per product, and um, even your first point with regards to you know just the the, the gross contribution per per products per SKU. Seems to be very skew focused. What I didn't get was the return on working capital deployed or the return on inventory. What what metric is that um, particularly?
0: So, like, that's ultimately, in my mind, like, that's the all encompassing um, metric to find that kind of optimal range of how much money you should have in inventory at any given stage, right? So, um, let me explain this in a different way. Like, the, the ways to ultimately kind of influence that. Um, is you wouldn't run out of stock, right? That's the one part thereof. you're not overstocking. You might be going to your uh, existing kind of vendors negotiating lower cogs, right? That would influence kind of that number. Um, You might Uh, sell different SKUs on different kind of channels or do some kind of your price optimization per SKU per channel, for example. Like all of those things would ultimately, like they would influence how you calculate the metric. The metric is calculated revenue over average working kind of your capital deployed. And working capital Mm -hmm. I use here as a term, but I really only mean the cash kind of deployed into inventory, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those different kind of levers, like you have available to get that
1: return or that ratio as, as optimal as possible. Okay, okay, okay. Makes sense, makes sense. Um, My next question is how would you define an operationally efficient D2C e-commerce brand?
0: Yeah, so um, part of that would be kind of your finding that optimal range of where to invest in inventory um, or how much to invest in inventory at least. But I think the, the other things are like, what are the systems and processes that you need to have in place internally that ultimately means that your customers can buy your products whenever and where they want, right? Like I think the, the key part of that firstly is like just having the inventory and the, the kind of the product available. Like that's the first bar that you need to clear. From there, I think operations extend kind of you very closely to how do I work with, how do I fulfill this, right? Whether you work with a kind of a third party, kind of your partner there, um, a 3PL or otherwise to fulfill that, or you have an internal team. How does that extend to out to the post-purchase um, kind of experience in terms of like, if there's issues, how do I communicate those issues? How do I handle those issues? How do I handle kind of returns? Because all of those things I think are ultimately what influences kind of your uh, your customers general impression or happiness mm. or experience of you which ultimately becomes that flywheel that if they are happy then they come back for a second purchase or if they are happy they tell others about you or if they are happy they share something on social social media so like all of those kind of your key components like for operations in my mind should be, there are chain, chained or sequenced to some extent, but they should all work off of the same kind of data set. So I'll give you a simple example there, right? So we at Coxy we often work with brands that <clears throat> where they do have stockouts we built a function called customer centric back orders which is instead of having a generic pre-order button and you have to kind of you throw your credit card into a void and you don't know whether you know when you're going to ship this we can actually because we have all of your operational kind of your data inventory coming in uh, as well as a forecast we can tell a customer hey lay like this product's out of stock today but this will next ship on to June so you know exactly when that okay. is going to happen so for a customer that's a great experience it converts much much higher compared to generic pre-order or some kind of new waiting list for example we've got kind of your data on on that but crucially when i think about operational excellence what is important is that information shouldn't just be available and we don't make that available just to our operations team that is also available to the customer experience team so if kind of you know, a week later um, you maybe didn't get the automated email and you ping us you ping the brand you say hey like i ordered this product i don't know where it is or what the ETA is whoever Mm -hmm. is on the other side of that conversation from the CX team they can say hey Kunle like hold on I will check quick and they can see hey this information kind of this is what the data is um, for the stock they can reconfirm it for you they can double check your exact order so that's why I think about operational kind of um, efficiency there like the systems need to be in place like the humans need to understand how to use those those systems Um, and ultimately you need to give everyone involved the right information so that they can have all these different interactions um whether with customers whether with vendors etc
1: interesting super super interesting so over COVID, you know um the the issue is just not sufficient stock you know the the real big challenges with regards to to supply chain and getting products into warehouses to sell to customers now most warehouses seem to to have an overstock problem. Um, First, could you confirm if this is what you're seeing uh, at Corksy, and then second, um, what tips do you have um, for for people really facing this excess inventory problem at this point in time?
0: So, so, yes, I think you, you're right in terms of your observation there. Um, due to the initial kind of your constraints um, with regards to getting stock into a warehouse, I think many, many brands kind of overordered um, and overcommitted. And for a period, they uh, essentially had, as you said, like excess stock in their warehouses and they were, sit, were sitting on it. Um, I think that's somewhat normalized now, couldn't they? Like most of the brands we've worked with, they're, they're back to a more like a steadier cadence of like how like when they're placing purchase orders um, and how much stock they're holding so I think it's mostly normalized yet Um, so broadly speaking though like if you are overstocked the way I would think about it is like I would do some prioritization um, not all SKUs are created equally and I would actually try and sell off the kind of the um, the either your, well, the lowest priority skews there, right? And again, like I would use an a interesting metric like LTV per product, not just kind of value. Um, other interesting things that we often kind of work with our customers on is to think about bundling in a smart way. So like one way, um, like well, there's two ways in which I like to bundle in terms of kind of overstocked is uh, you essentially take a slower moving SKU and you attach that to a fast moving SKU, right? So you kind of you use the, the, the velocity of the, you, you can, these best sellers um, and you tag that along. The other way to do that is to think about margins, right? So um, take kind of a, a fast moving kind of high margin skew, and then you bundle that with a kind of a lower margin skew. So you don't screw up all of your economics. I think the key there is always like most brands should discount cautiously at least, because um, I think consumers mostly have, either have the kind of you know, discount fatigue or promotional fatigue, or they just wait they they know like hey this brand is going to discount regularly i just need to wait for that discount right so So, like exactly right so like i i'm i'm not against it and i'm by no means an expert there but i'm conscious of of that which is also why i like the bundling part because at least you get aov up um, and you probably get like first order profitability which i think is what most brands are kind of seeking um to achieve kind of these days but that's how i would think um, about overstock or excess stock, right? So prioritize yeah. firstly, like don't treat all of it. Like if if you're overstocked on your best selling SKUs then like you have to kind of wait to ride it out. Like I wouldn't necessarily, then you need to weigh that against a discount, right? Um, and the the secondary effects of a discount. But if you can prioritize that for the kind of lower priorities like think about bundling um, and just getting rid of it and getting get, getting the cash back is what I would think.
1: Yeah, bonding works. Bonding really works, uh, particularly with um, with, the, with the low velocity skews, just bonding them up with you know high velocity skews. So, so really, really good point. Um, where you guys with regards to demand forecasting? Um, no one could predict COVID, but obviously when you take you know these black swan events, that that they, they are, you know, that there, there is. Predictability with demand forecasting, particularly if it's linked with marketing activity. Um, so, how well does Cogzy sort of connect with um, predictability on 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 the effectiveness of the like your 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 ad campaigns and seasonality and all of those other factors um, towards um, seeing trends and um, determining um, you know um, what to put in stock in order to to, to meet customers' expectations and, and, and not run out of stock. Yeah. So,
0: um, at the core of what we do, so we, one of the hardest challenges we had to solve for was to essentially build, firstly, build the data layer to allow us to ingest kind of order and skew data from anywhere that you have that data, right? So the simplest example would be uh, you're kind of selling direct on Shopify, you've got a separate kind of your Shopify instance for your wholesale stuff, and then you also sell on Amazon. So we will essentially take all of that order data um, and we feed that into our demand forecasting uh, functionality, um, which then gives you what we call a baseline programmatic forecast, right? Um, And the reason I say that is any, any forecast, like doesn't matter if they throw hypey words like AI and ML out there, right? Like it is still based on historical kind of your data, um, and is it's only a partial predictor of the future. So the way we think about it, a is baseline programmatic forecast. Baseline meaning like you as the kind of the the human with intimate knowledge about how the business works um, should probably add some of your kind of uh, intuition and assumptions on top of that right so like the way we've built that into it is um, you can either kind of uh, do what we call growth planning which is on a revenue basis um, and shape that out that would influence the uh, the programmatic forecast or if you were doing kind of your ad hoc like once-off marketing things um, or marketing changes that weren't true say in the previous 12 to 18 months because like the baseline programmatic forecast is good at picking up seasonality and good at picking up patterns. But say, for example, you are suddenly launching a whole new kind of your nationwide TV campaign that you've never run before, you should probably input that into kind of the system as a leading indicator of what demand is going to be, right? So, like, those things are there. I think the key thing that I will always, kind of a share, is that, um, again, I, I've been in software for long enough to not overhype things Like AI and kind of artificial intelligence and machine learning, right? Which is often used in in this realm. The goal with COGSI is not to try and increase your your forecasting accuracy by two, three, or 4%. What I instead want to do is I want to make you kind of 10% 10 or 10 times, whatever the case is, more agile, more flexible, more proactive, because the, kind of, the system can only guide you right the system can't predict the kind of the, the future perfectly but the system because it's always on like it can tell you hey like that sales spike there that's kind of your brewing this is what the kind of you think butterfly effect like today it like looks tiny and doesn't look like you're going to run out of stock but when extrapolated that's where a system can be great and saying like this year you thought that that purchase order that was going to come in in mid-july is going to be able to cover kind of you have enough stock for you to cover all this but the trends have now changed and you should probably phone that vendor and figure out like how can you get that into the warehouse two weeks sooner um to avoid a stockout like I, i think that's where the value is more than trying to get kind of a perfect forecast because i don't think a perfect forecast exists
1: yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and um, that's agility—the the real-time updates and you know information you're getting and feeding the system, particularly. So if, for instance, you're doing a Shark Tank and um, you know, or or Dragons Den, there's certainly going to be overwhelming demand. Um, so can you weigh the effect? Are they different ways in terms of effects, potential predictabilities, which you feed Cogsy, or um, does Cogsy figure that out?
0: So we we figure out all of that once it becomes kind of real data. Like the algorithm takes takes care of all of that. So we essentially look at kind of multiple um, metadata points for every order, whether it's kind of customer, whether it's acquisition channel, etc. Um, because that's like the I I always tell the team, uh, and by no means, I'm I'm no data scientist, but kind of the the way any programmatic forecast works is it essentially goes goes and finds the correlation or some kind of pattern that it can extrapolate. So that's why once it becomes real data, like the algorithm discerns and can see spot kind of trends or patterns that is not as visible to the human eye and then extrapolates or kind of calculates outwards from there.
1: Okay, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Um, like for speaking for myself or for for, for, for our company, we, we 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 run an Amazon first business that we we're now um sort of transitioning to a D 2 C model. It's a very slow transition, but it's happening. Um we obviously have our inventory management system for Amazon. They're very sort of skewed towards Amazon. It's like edesk, for instance edesk really and truly is is purpose built for Amazon and then all the other platforms in which it serves are a second well the the second thoughts to 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 developers. Yeah. So with regards to um our um, our e commerce enablement enablement you know tools which we'll be using on Shopify would you suggest obviously I'm speaking to the founder of COGSY would you suggest that um we we get Cogzy for our Shopify. So it, it kind of like integrates, it works with our Shopify while being cognizant of what we're doing on on other channels, say Amazon and even, um, you know, eventually retail.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I, I think the key thing there for me is that um, any system that does data analysis um, is more valuable if it has all of the data, right? Um, mm-hmm. And crucially, like I think, um, I don't think it's safe to say that oh, I don't have five percent of the data, um, and that only means like my kind of decision making is going to be five percent off. Because that five percent kind of blind spot that you have could be material. So, and that kind of uh, how that play, plays out here, and an outcome that you know Kogzi strives to, to to help operators achieve there is like I would fully advocate that you understand what your demand is on both those channels, direct on Shopify and on Amazon the system can calculate and consolidate kind of you know, all of that numbers in the forecast and help you kind of figure out like what is the optimal kind of your know, purchase order that I need to, you know, to, to place. Right. I, I, I think no business kind of you know, operates um, with the goal of placing separate purchase orders um, for Shopify and for Amazon, Super channels, right? exactly. E- exa- exactly right. Especially when you consider minimum order quantities, um, you know, or some kind of your volume discount or some e- economy of scale um, that is included in bigger purchase orders, right? So, like, that's what what I would kind of advocate for. So, like, we without making this a pitch about Kelsey, but we fully um, we double down on. That setup, so multi-channel, multi-location, um, kind of last year, and we fully operationalized that. So it's not just about the demand forecast, but we now have the ability to know. Listen um, here, like if you have, if you simple kind of setup, you only have a single kind of your warehouse for your direct sales, and you need to send stock to Amazon um, for for FBA, for example, then like we will help you calculate. That purchase order to serve both those locations and you can even like if it makes more economic sense like split the shipments we kind of you're from there right like on the purchase order ask your vendor to send part of the kind of, your po to one location part directly to amazon like all of those things are possible and like we'll help you track that all the way to your 3pl um, and amazon as well so like that's the, the thinking there like i i'm a big believer in consolidating the data because the insights are better, um, as well as the workflows because the execution of those workflows are easier, kind of uh, and more efficient as well. Like one can ever, uh, the last thing I'll say about kind of this is, you can have the best software solutions in place. If the humans mm-hmm. that's supposed to use it don't use it, then the software is worthless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Uh, the the reason I'm asking is I I just like the user interface of Coxy. I think. We we ran a virtual conference last year. It's called Commerce Excel. Um, it was a Q4 focused um, you know, um virtual conference. and um, Jason Wong, um, some of you who are listening may know. Um he he spoke to inventory management to so the topic he normally speaks about marketing and influencer marketing and all the good stuff he's doing on his brand. And um, that exposed me to Cogsley. And the one thing I noticed there, and the reason why I really wanted to catch up with you, given the fact that you're a founder, was just how easy the the it is to read in terms of like stock levels, the color coding, the user interface, you know, um, and, and just, just the way how modular, you know, the the interface is. So it is certainly something that I will be trying. I'll be integrating because I see that you have... Um, Amazon connections, integration, and you also have like shipBob integration. I'm going to even speak to, to, to third party, to 3PLs f- fairly soon. But um, given that you have Amazon, I'm going to try and connect it to our Amazon, connect it to our Shopify and see the output it spits spits out, particularly from a strategic and operational standpoint. Um, I think Jason Wong also sp- spoke about um, inventory audits, the importance of you know creating cadence on that, and I really resonate with with that. Um, and using the tool, as an easy to use tool, to to get um, you know those audits out um, and to make decisions really, because um, we have like inventory audit meetings every week in, in our company. Um, I think it's every Wednesday, just to check to see you know what needs to be ordered, what 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 doesn't, and all that stuff. So, so it, it'd be interesting to to to, to see and uh, let you guys know the audience how 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 I get along with 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 Cogsy. Yeah. But um, I mean, yeah. To, to, to that, point, so firstly, Jason's been a. Uh, a long
0: time and it was one of the early customers been a long time, you know, user, user account there. And without alienating, I mean, you asked me about who our ideal kind of your buyer, um, kind of your user is um, earlier. Um, and without alienating all of the kind of operators that I so love dearly out there, right? I think there is a future here where um, for many brands, the operational kind of your part, or at least the kind of, how do I know when and how much inventory to, to order from my vendors? should probably be done by brand managers right like brand managers ultimately kind of you know, um, they they greatly influence the demand of the kind of your inventory um that's where they're operating and hustling the system can do a lot of the kind of the operational bits i, I don't mean to suggest that you can remove full operational teams like some products are pretty complex um and there's definitely kind of be a, there's definitely roles there but I suspect that there might be, at least in some kind of your teams or some businesses, that's the kind of the the shift that might happen. Is the brand manager or the growth kind of your, the person in, in charge of growth um, ultimately has a tool to elevate their kind of operational or supply side skills.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. You 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 mentioned you 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 mentioned that, Adi, because I don't know if you recall the last iPhone or well, maybe the last two iPhones. I'm not quite sure, I've lost count. They led their ad campaign for the for, for q, Q4. q So it was, they normally released it in September. So from September through to like Jan, the next year, they led their, their campaign with a purple, a new color purple iPhone, maybe 13 Pro Max or 14 Pro Max. And that particular unit, that particular colour kept selling out. You couldn't get your hands on that one because it was yeah. front and center. It was a new collar. It caught people's attention. People wanted to find out more. And guess what? When you're about to order direct from from, from Apple, what's the colour you want to, to to naturally adapt to? Now, if that integrates pretty well with like your your inventory management and operations. Then it's it's you know it, it it will really really work. You you maximise your sales. You people don't get frustrated with getting out of stock. Although there is an appeal for wanting to buy something that you can't get your hands on, like say Prime. You know I don't know whether you have heard about this Prime drink by Logan yeah. Paul and um, KSI. Uh, it's my my son literally got his first bottle and it was just savoring the moment yesterday but i digress but there's there's also an appeal of you know of, of of scarcity right but you could you could all just adjust that but but it's interesting you mentioned the the front end and the back end and trying to marry what's happening you know in, in the front lines with um, with availability and ammunition and, and the back end
0: Ex- exactly right and, I, like, and which is why i think like this is not um this should not be, no one listening should take this as a, as a hot take from from this guy that knows a little bit about e-commerce, right? I think, um, and th- I'm referring to myself there, I think that, like, this is just what's Thank happening you. already, Kunle, right? I think yeah. if I look at kind of your smaller teams and how they're, they, they scale up, right, like, they... On the operational, it's all kind of growth first, right? Like that's always the mentality is how, how do I find growth? How do I find distribution? How do I kind of get really creative in terms of my customer acquisition? And then everything else follows. And I think with the right tools, you can probably get further along that way without having to build a whole operational team of individual kind of specialists right you can again like i said it earlier like you you can have someone like fully leading operations but you can probably have a slightly smaller operational team and they can have, be kind of generalists because there's stuff that i think you don't have to do right like there's stuff for example kind of your uh, knowing that this you know, this batch of kind of inventory has left the vendor and it's going to ShipBob, right? Like, a system can let you know, hey, Kunle, like, that kind of your shipment has now arrived um, and ShipBob has received it and inventory levels are updated everywhere and COGSI kind of gets that number and it tells you, like, yes, you're good again. Like, your next out-of-stock date for the SKU is kind of your three months down the line, right? Like, all mm-hmm. of that, like... It needs minimal human invol- involvement, um, which ultimately means that like the biggest influencer that at least operational tools don't yet replace is like how do you drive more demand for for your product? Hmm. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Super interesting. What's your take on three PLs and um, is is there a point of maturity where you know you need to grow up, screw through PLs and stats, you know self fulfilling in your opinion
0: oh um, i'm i'm no expert i think my fundamental kind of your know, perspective here would always be to think about kind of your know, should the so the the question should be should I fulfill myself or not? And like the secondary question in my mind is like, should I make like, should this be the core competency for my business or not, right? Um, so I'll give you a kind of analogy in terms of how I would think through you know through that. Um, there's been a lot in the e-commerce space around kind of your know, going headless, right? Um, if you're using Shopify or another platform, and like I've always argued that to do so, you should only do so like if you're going to build technical kind of your uh, core competencies in your business otherwise it never makes sense right i would argue that your ability to kind of manufacture source create kind of your product and sell them that's core competencies and no business can have core competencies across every functional kind of part of the business right some things you outsource to partners some you outsource to kind of process uh, to, to, to systems or software and others you don't kind of do so like the way I would think through it as, like, it needs to be really compelling for you to do fulfillment yourself, right? Which either means, like, you've got a very specialized kind of product or customer experience that you want to kind of your honor, and that has some kind of additional benefit to you, right? You can charge a higher price kind of for that, um, et cetera, right? Like, maybe you kind of you, you you do those things. Um, or the flip side, like, maybe you go with 3PL because, hey, I, like, I just want to run a lean business and i don't want to have the headaches of dealing with boxes and duct tape running out right like that can also be the case but i said like for me it really comes down to like does this need to be a core competency for for your business firstly um and if not then find the most economical solution to kind of your partner with with an expert in the space
1: yes starts starts it out with the right question on, on on core competencies good stuff good stuff okay um just wrapping up, just wrapping up, I would like to take you on our lightning round. It's um, I'm gonna ask you about um, six or so questions and if you could use a you know single sentence to answer each of them, um, it'll be you'll be a okay.
0: Perfect. Let's go.
1: All right. What advice would you give yourself five years ago? Chill out. <laughs> Who's been the most meaningful business contact in the last five years? Uh, my co-founder, Stefano. Okay. Are you a morning person? Uh, yes, I've got young kids in the house. Okay. What does your morning routine look like?
0: Uh, at the moment, it's all, it's, it's all kids. It's, it feels like it's herding, herding sheep, uh, getting them ready to, to get to school.
1: Imagine are you into sports do do you play any sports
0: yes i play a bit of uh, social football um and i'm a big might alienate half your your listenership here but i'm a big manchester united fan okay all
1: right um you guys lost though um uh, are you are you um who's your favorite athlete or, or favorite um team sports team
0: so, uh, team definitely, definitely Manchester United. That's a, a, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, the, the one that I that I love. Um, and then, like, uh, you know, a little bit of love hate relationship. But I've always been like a massive fan of Cristiano Ronaldo. Just kind of your know, purely based on the fact that I don't think he's the most talented footballer ever. But I definitely think he's been one of the most hardworking kind of athletes um, in kind of your modern day era.
1: Yeah. Discipline and respect for self. What two things can't you live without?
0: Ooh, um, my family and red wine. Red wine, I'll say applause
1: for that. Um, finally, what book are you currently reading or listening to?
0: Uh, Outlive by Dr. Peter Attia.
1: Yes, longevity is, is a big, big thing um, for yes. us. Well, um... Fantastic. Fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah. So, Adi, it's been a pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. For people who want to find out more about Cogsy, it's C-O-G-S-Y dot com. Um, just go there. I think they, they have a, a free tri- trial, a 14-day trial, which you could, you know, um, you could try yourselves. And um, are you active on any social media platforms? Idea. Yeah,
0: so yes. So anyone can find me on Twitter, A-D-I-I, um, or the team if they want to do, which is at C-O-G-S-Y. Um, everyone can also just email me directly, A-D-I-I at Cogsy.com. Um, I am pretty responsive when my inbox isn't fully blown up um, every other day. So, But yes, like if you want to chat, reach out. Happy to chat via any, any
1: medium. Adi, thank you for coming on the 2X E-Commerce Podcast. That's a really nice handle, by the way, Adi. Very very nice and smooth. Uh,
0: That's that's what you get for being an early adopter, Kudle. That's that's Uh,
1: the the, the only claim. Right place, right time. (laughs) Brilliant. Cheers.
0: Awesome. Thanks. (laughs)